welcome to the Reology Podcast. My name is Scott Johnson. I'm not a trained theologian, and nor do I have degrees in theology or the Bible. I'm just a regular guy who loves and follows God, but wanted to know if there was more to what I was experiencing in the world of church. This podcast is the collection of a journey to dig much deeper in the realm of faith. Reology itself is the study of the do-over. It's kind of founded on the philosophy and the principle of stopping and rethinking, especially when it comes to what I know about God, Jesus, and ultimately what this has to do with me. If you listen to the first episode and you've chosen to follow the rabbit hole to see just exactly how deep it goes, I am really glad to have you. But if this is your first encounter, I would strongly encourage you to stop right now and go back and listen to the first episode because it will give you a foundation of the conversation that we're trying to start. As you may know, if this isn't your first visit, I've spent almost 15 years of my professional life as a full-time minister. I worked with teenagers in student ministries for 10 years, and I loved the life of making disciples. I worked with some fantastic adults who partnered with me in trying to help make a difference in teens' lives and to teach them about the life that God was calling them to. Those days were some very, very good days. It was only when I transitioned into church ministry that I found myself a bit lost. And as you may remember from the first episode, I was having a hard time understanding what our purpose was. I mean, aside from planning and executing a Sunday morning service, you know, what were we trying to accomplish? And I never got an answer to that question. So from there, I started down a road, a journey of conviction. There have been several situations and conversations and circumstances in my experience as a Christian and as a full-time minister that caused me to stop what I was doing and to start questioning. But let me make this very, very clear. I never questioned who God was, my relationship with him through Jesus, or what he wanted with me. Those things have always been very clear to me. But what I did question, though, was what we collectively were doing. I mean, what are we doing and why? I read a a book a few years back called Jim and Casper Go to Church, where a Christian invites an atheist to visit 10 bigger churches around the nation to get, you know, his take on how the modern church was doing. At the end of the book, Casper, he's the atheist, he says just about the same thing about all of the church services he attended except this one. And it was a church, well, more like a ministry, that owned a city block and they existed to help rehabilitate the marginal and poverty-stricken areas. They just happened to hold a small worship service as well. But they were considered a mega church. And Casper was impressed. He was really impressed, mainly because the worship service wasn't the main thing. It wasn't even in the top five. It was abundantly obvious that their main thing was was just simply helping people, making a noticeable difference in the community. And they did. But for the other nine, well, his thoughts were very simple. He wrapped it up into one question. He asked, Is this what Jesus told you to do? That exact questioning 
was what was at the center of my convictions. You know, stopping and questioning something that no one else seems to be questioning, that's, that's hard. You, f- you feel like the oddball, you know, and it's almost like everyone's looking at you as if to say, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Do you hate the church or something? At the end of my last full-time ministry, God put a new friend in my path, Darren. And little did I know that God was con- convicting Darren in the same way he was convicting me. The Holy Spirit was prompting both of our hearts to take our brains and open them up and start a, a, a series of investigation, a time of research and rediscovery for us to stop and to rethink, you know, to relearn the reality of this ecclesia and the movement of the Holy Spirit. So Darren and I committed to meeting for lunch each week so that we could, you know, basically debrief about all the thoughts and feelings that were welling up inside of us both. It was refreshing to know that he was feeling the exact same way, and our conversations were energizing, no doubt. But it was also hard, you know, because we felt we felt totally alone, almost excommunicated. I mean, we were questioning centuries' worth of tradition and church practices, even church itself. We were most definitely going against popular opinion and It was hard to relate our thoughts to other people. Basically considered it not safe for work conversation. I didn't bring it up very often to other people. So my wife and I, you know, we tried visiting several different church services for over a year. But we just didn't feel like we were on the same page and, you know, we weren't traveling down the same road. They were all more interested in in attendance and capital campaigns and the sermon and, you know, church stuff. And we, on the other hand, we we were looking for avenues to serve our neighbors, to do something to help people. No church would allow us to be involved in the serving part without a consistent attendance to Sunday morning. So we just finally stopped our search and we got more involved in local service. The growing criticism that we felt from others was, you know, could we actually still be Christians without attending a church service of some sort? In my heart, I hadn't left God. On the contrary, I was seeking him even deeper in my life. I wanted more of him. As Darren and I continued to meet on every week basis and to talk through this new path, there was this one question that just kept popping up. Are we the only ones that feel this way? And I came to find out we weren't. So a major breakthrough came one day at lunch when Darren told me that he had come across a book that might help shed some light on what we were going through. The book's title was Church Refugees. It was by uh, Dr. Josh Packard, who is a PhD, an associate professor at, uh, of uh, sociology at the University of Northern Colorado. Dr. Pactor one day was, he was confronted with a growing concern from a group of church planners during a sociology project. Their concern was, why are so many people leaving the church? This was a universal question that these church leaders were experiencing. The real issue, though, was, was that they weren't just leaving, they weren't returning. I mean, they weren't leaving one church to go to another 
And they weren't leaving because they were mad or because they were burned by someone or because they didn't get their way. They just left. And the real kicker was that they didn't leave God. This was a new era issue, one that was very hard to pinpoint. Seemingly once dedicated, working in the trenches, church leaders and volunteers were suddenly and quietly leaving and wouldn't return. One person said that they had been de-churched. Now, after a while of continuing to hear the same stories over and over of people leaving the church in the exact same fashion, Dr. Packard and his uh, co-author-to-be, Ashley Hope, became interested in a sociological way of approaching this issue, and, and they decided to start and complete an in-depth study. Some of the questions that fueled the, the beginning of their study was, you know, one, why was this happening, of course? And then the second would be, you know, what did the process of disengagement look like? They wondered if this might be a generational type of issue. You know, was this associated with the nuns movement, which is basically people who claim no religious affiliation at all? I mean, were these people the theological liberals stuck in a conservative church and just had to get out? Maybe they were the disenfranchised, you know, those who were disenfranchised by the rise of the pastoral moral failure. But what they came to find out was none of these. And as they wrote, and I quote, instead, it became clear to us that the story of the dechurched was a story of modern religious organizations and institutions stifling people's ability to engage with each other and their communities. So these de-churched, quote-unquote, would become as what they call the Duns. They would be known as the Duns. So Darren and I, we read this book and we immediately felt that we weren't strange. You know, there wasn't something wrong with us. And contrary to popular belief, we weren't going to burn in hell. We realized that we were a part of a very large and growing documented group of Christians who were just simply tired of the old model of church. And they were driven by what they read about in the book of Acts. And they dedicated themselves to get back in step with the movement and the workings of the Holy Spirit. I mean, for me, I would literally feel God's presence more in talking with and helping my aging neighbors than I did in just about every Sunday morning service I'd ever experienced in the last several years. My deepest yearnings were centered on being in the middle of what only God can do. I just wanted to be near it, to witness what was really sacred. That was the initial human need that brought me to answer God's calling in the first place, back when I was 15. I mean, that's what led me to Jesus. So, I decided to follow that desire. Even though it would make me look like I had something against God or had been burned by people or just simply a rebel, I, I really didn't care. What I was wanting and needing in my life was not just a church service on Sunday morning. I needed the presence of God. You know, not that there's anything wrong with going to church service, of course, as I've said before. It's not a bad thing. But when it's designed to be everything, eventually people will be wanting more. And then they'll start asking questions and, and they'll fulfill the calling of the duns and 
They'll venture out to start a new journey of following the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and redefining what church really means. If the church today continues with its current structure, you know, being a one-stop shop, it will become obsolete, if not already. So let me take a few minutes here and talk about something I pretty much just zoomed right over. Okay, this, this epidemic of people leaving church. There's no doubt that this is a pretty serious problem for churches. But really only for one reason. If a church, whether it's been in existence for 100 years, 50 years, or if only for a couple of years, it pretty much only has one main focus. And that main focus is the Sunday morning service. I mean, you can tell what the main focus is by how much time or money is spent. Where do you spend the most of your time? Where do you spend the most of your money as an organization? If the answer is Sunday morning, well, then guess what? If the Sunday morning service pretty much sums up the existence of a church, then it could be in serious trouble if this trend continues and grows. But if a church is centered on a more specific purpose other than Sunday morning service, you know, it could be okay. If the church would just kind of embrace the idea that it's a nonprofit organization, that would be great. And if they could just say, hey, we exist to help, even if they just say we exist to help our own, those of those people who become members, and 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 then possibly help those that are, you know, right there around our members, then at least people will know what they're getting themselves into right off the bat, and they'll retain those that do come on board. But if a church would declare that its main focus is going to be meeting the needs of the community first and foremost, and that taking care of itself is its absolute last priority, it will most likely not just be okay, but it'll grow because it will organically attract people who are desiring the same thing to be involved in something that's bigger than themselves. I mean, because actually that is what the Duns are looking for. Something more. Something bigger. God. But I just don't think that's going to happen. The majority of churches in America, they're, they're just dead set on this model that we've got. Even if it, mean, if it means they'll end up fading away into obscurity... And they're dead set on it because they think that this model, they view it as biblical. Which in and of itself is very, is very much an unbiblical and uninformed view. I've seen an ugly trend on Facebook quite a lot in uh, just the recent couple of years here. As you can imagine, I've got a lot of friends on Facebook who are pastors of churches. And as you can imagine, I see a lot of postings from them on, on Facebook, you know, promoting their Sunday morning attendance. They'll say things like, don't forget to come Sunday. Can't wait to see you Sunday. Sunday's going to be great. You know, the band is covering Coldplay Sunday. Don't miss it. I mean, they're the ones that absolutely make sure everybody remembers to set their clocks back and set their clocks forward. They don't want people missing church. Okay, fine. That's, that's fine. But recently, I've seen what I call frustration posts from pastors Apparently, they've had a very low attendance day. 
I mean, it's one thing to send out a friendly reminder or a promo, but these posts have the feeling of frustration and even desperation to the point of trying to make people feel guilty for not making Sunday morning a more priority. And yes, I did say try. One of these frustration posts I shared an article from a big church pastor's blog entitled, Why Going to Church Every Week Matters. Biblical right off the bat, that's incorrect. But anyway, in this article, the author equates those who miss church to the lotus eaters of Homer's Odyssey. These guys ate this lotus plant and they became intoxicated to the point of apathy. They didn't have a desire to continue on their journey. They were satisfied with staying where they were. Well, that might be a good analogy of someone might of who doesn't really care and is just lazy on Sunday morning or just bored. They're, they're not real Christians. They're, they're just kind of like church hopping and stuff. You know, maybe that might fit them, maybe. But it's definitely not applicable for people who are looking for more. For those of us who are looking to join God and what he's already doing in this world, the duns. I mean, <laughs> if you want to get technical, that little analogy fits better for those who attend every week and they're fine with where they are. And their desire to go further with God has been completely lost. They could better fit the lotus eaters. The author actually quotes a George Barna stat that says, and I quote, 76 million adults who regularly avoid going to church. He ends the quote and says, and quote again, six out of 10 of them, that's 62% of that 76 million they consider themselves to be Christian. There's no way. They don't go to church. They can't be a Christian. The author, you know, and I'm calling him the author, not to spare his name, but to spare the friend that shared this post. The author basically says that these people are avoiding going to church because they are being fooled and led astray by the devil. We are drunk and we're out of our right minds. There's no other way. There's no other reason. Can't be anything else. We've been fooled by the devil. And he even says that this fooling of the, by the devil, it all starts with these horrible, evil, satanic practices. Things like youth sports on Sunday. It's horrible. Resting. Resting is something that leads us astray. I don't know if these, this author ever heard of the concept of the Sabbath, but, you know, okay. And how about this horrible satanic practice? Traveling to see friends. Horrible. And then doing yard work. Evil. He states, and I quote, I think this is because many Christians have never taught, have never been taught why, why making a commitment to be in Sunday morning worship every single week is absolutely vital to their spiritual growth. You've got to be there every single week. You can't rest, you can't travel to see friends, and you can't do yard work on Sunday. Can't. He goes on. The Post made this argument of going to church for these reasons. This is what you lose out on. Number one, and they're one through ten here. Number one, if you don't go to church, you lose the opportunity for corporate worship. You know, because it can't happen in any other way. 
Number two, if you don't go to church, you lose the opportunity to serve others. And he goes on, whether that's in children's ministry, ushering, leading worship, etc. Of course, <laughs> serving each other, serving themselves inside the church walls, not serving the community. If you don't go to church, number three, we lose track of the way God is working in our local church family and the part we can play in that. I'm thinking in an hour and 10 minutes, how can I how can I learn what's going on in our local church family? Number four, if we don't go to church, we lose the opportunity to bring non-Christians to church as if that's what we were called to do. We weren't. Number five, if we don't go to church, we lose the opportunity to welcome new people that other people have brought for the first time. I'm not even going to waste my time on that. Number six, if we don't go to church, we lose the opportunity to learn more about the Bible. Once again, as if there's no other way to do that. The only way to do it is through a trained, ordained pastor, the official way. Number seven, if we don't go to church, we lose the opportunity to model for our children that church attendance is important. So guess what? If you don't, you don't go to church, you're not a good parent. Number eight, if we don't go to church, now I'm not just saying go to church. All, all these are every week, okay? If we don't go to church every week, we lose the opportunity to strengthen our connections with fellow Christians. Once again, there's no other way to do that. Another, number nine, if we don't go to church every week, we lose the opportunity to encourage the pastoral staff of the church that we're a part of. You know, we want to make them feel good. We showed up to listen to their sermon. It's important. And number 10, you're going to love this if this is not your first time here. As we've stated in the first episode, people like to quote Hebrews 10.25. And here it is. If you don't go to church, as Hebrews 10.25 says, we lose the opportunity oh, to obey God. Because Hebrews 10.25 says, ye shall go to church every Sunday. Once again, here's a statement that's made out of frustration. It's made and intent is to make me feel guilty, not inspired. And it's coming out of somebody who, quite honestly, I believe, is really out of touch. Maybe, just maybe, call me crazy here, there's another reason why people are avoiding to go to church besides being drunk by the devil. Maybe, just maybe, it's because the Holy Spirit is actually working and revealing in this person that this model that we've got called church, it's not biblical, nor is it absolute, and nor is it absolutely vital. So here is my plea to leaders and pastors and ministers and whatnot. Instead of blaming the sheep, maybe it's time to take a hard look at what you're doing. And more importantly, why? A restaurant does not blame its customers for not coming out to eat. They don't send out emails and promotionals and commercials bashing their people, you know, customers based that they didn't come out to eat Sunday. Instead, they send out surveys. They want a better understanding of what's going on with people. What are we, what are we doing that's not right? Maybe it's just that the food doesn't taste very good, you know? I mean, I understand that for pastors, this is your livelihood. I get it. This is how you pay bills and this is how you feed your family. But if this whole 
thing comes down to dollars. Because I understand, you know, people don't show up. They don't give. We have a couple of weeks doing that. We're going to miss our budget. We're going to start a trend. If that's what it's all about, you might want to seriously reconsider what you're doing. And the same is true. If you're spending a lot of your time during the week on a sermon that you think this is straight from God and these people need to hear it because there's no other way. And you're upset that you had a low attendance for it. Then it might be time for a personal inventory. Could this new era issue of the Duns, I mean, could it possibly be more of an issue of inspiration instead of disobedience or just being a slacker? I mean, could it be that we're just not inspired by what's going on on Sunday morning? And instead, we're following something that is more worthy of our time and our efforts. We're following where God is already at work. As some have said to me, can't you at least hang around and help change things from the inside? Well, I didn't even know I was on the outside. And here's the thing. Sunday morning church service in and of itself, it's not the ecclesia that Jesus came to build and die for. It's a model. It's a model. It's only one form of what the ecclesia can choose to do. It's not the actual ecclesia. It's one avenue, not the avenue. If pastors could see that point of view, it'd probably make what they do a whole lot more effective. Sunday morning churches, they're just nonprofit organizations. They're not the ecclesia, or as we've translated it, the church. They are nonprofit organizations that hold a community worship slash preaching service on Sunday morning that also has something for the kids. They've got donuts, they've got coffee, you can dress what, however you like, and they've got music to listen to. That's pretty much it. And that's not a bad thing, but it's just not the thing. If you don't like it that Christians are leaving, maybe consider shifting your focus from a service to serving. Serving with no strings attached. Not serving because we might get more people to come to the service. Just serving. Now, for those of you who are listening and you're thinking, whoa, I I can't believe you just described what I've been wrestling with for a while. I didn't know there were others out there that think in the same way. Yes, there are others, lots of others. And my message to you would be a simple one. You've already stopped and started thinking. Now it's time to stop and listen. Listen and watch for where God is already at work around you because he is. See where he's working around you and join him. Ultimately, we're not charged with bringing someone to church. We're charged with making disciples, making them while we're on our way through regular, ordinary life. That thought, it'll change how you look at going to the store. It'll change how you look with dealing with people at work and how well you listen to others and your willingness to be involved. The ecclesia of God are people who actively get involved in the lives of those around them. And they're willing to sacrifice what they got going on to stop and listen and help. And, and to do all that, even if you don't go to church. Why? Because we are the church. We are that ecclesia that Jesus came to build and die for. 
At least we are becoming that. And now for the rest of you. I would like to encourage you to be willing to rethink, research, and rediscover the mysteries of God, the life of Jesus, and the purpose of the ecclesia. Now what I'm asking you to do, it's not an easy task, and nor is it popular. Some might say, hey, just go to church and listen to the sermon, all will be good. Unfortunately, that's not nearly enough. Take hold of this faith in God with both hands, claim it for your own, investigate God, get to know him on a much deeper level. But just remember, it all starts with a willing spirit to stop and think and rethink. If you spend any time learning about this Jesus in any of the four books dedicated to his life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to quickly see that his message revolved around this very same mindset. Stop and think. Again, thanks for your time. We'll be back next episode discussing the truths of Christianity that you may never have known before. Yep, they may sound crazy, but true. True.